Morning. Hey, uh, before I get into week two of our friending uh, series, I wanted to bring you an important announcement as well. You know, every other year we do an amazing, incredibly impactful missions trip to Rwanda in uh, Eastern Africa. And we are going again this summer, June 12th to the 22nd, and I want you to come with me. Uh, both Pastor Josh and I actually are going to go on this trip. we got a couple other leaders that have already committed to go. And here's why I want you to come with us. Uh, when we went uh, two years ago in 2018, our group over a one-week span shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with 34,000 people. In fact, we saw 3,400 people come to Christ. I just said our group led 3,400 people to Christ in the week. I, I, I don't know how else to explain it besides it was like being in the book of Acts in the Bible. So the first thing I want to say to you is, you tell me what else you're going to be doing with your summer that's better than that. <laughs> no, I'm serious, right? It's just so amazing. Now, let me tell you a little bit about what we do. And so we spend most of our mornings and early afternoons in schools. So get this, the Rwandan government allows us to go into public schools and tell people how to become Christians. They want us to. Because they say it'll make their citizens become better people and lower their crime rate. Isn't that fascinating? And so we go in and we share the gospel in public schools. So we go into elementary schools where uh, we share the gospel through skits and other things. It's a whole lot of fun. Uh, we go into high schools where our team members uh, will uh, share their testimonies. And then someone will get up and preach and explain uh, how to follow uh, Jesus Christ. And then in the afternoons, uh, we work with local churches. They'll set up their choirs. Don't think like a robes from your childhood. Think like sweet African R&B choir. And they'll set it up in a neighborhood. And before you know it, five, 600 people have gathered to see what's going on. And then you'll get up. And you'll share your story about what God's doing in your life, your testimony. And the people are riveted by it because when they think of America, all they can think of is Hollywood. So they believe that all of you are lost to Satan. And so just hearing your story that God has moved in your life is just, it's, they just can't believe it. And so you get to share your story and we will train you in how to do that. And then again, someone will come up and preach. And people will accept Christ. You'll get to see 40, maybe 50, sometimes 100 people walking down the hill with tears in their eyes coming to accept Jesus Christ in part because of what you said. One of the things that I think I I want you to understand about Rwanda uh, compared to so many other countries in the world is right now Rwanda is what we would just call ripe for the gospel. But in history, this is always a window that will close. So right now, they're so hungry for God's word in the country. I mean, think about this. They're letting us into their public schools. We can go into their marketplaces where there's 600 people and just bring a microphone and speakers and start sharing about the gospel. And that's legal. But it's beginning to close already. In fact, already in the capital city, they're starting to outlaw public proclamations without you know, proper permits and such. And so the window already is beginning to close. And so we want to go to this particular country, and we want to go now. And so over, for over a year now, we've been praying that we would be able to send, because we're reaching so many people for Christ, we've been praying that we would be able to send the largest team that we've ever sent on a missions trip in the history of our church. And the number that the Lord sort of put on my heart over a year ago now was just 25. 
And so we're praying that 25 of you would go. Not four of you, 25 of you. And so everybody needs to be praying about this. See, what happens is the more people that come, the more teams we can send out to different areas at once, and thus the more people we can reach for Christ. And so the numbers really matter. I don't want you to worry about the money. Uh, Obviously, it costs money to go. But when we went two years ago, many of the people on our team actually raised all of their money. And they went to Africa for zero dollars. And many other people raised a significant portion of it and went for less than a thousand dollars. And we will teach you how to fundraise the money. Uh, And then finally, uh, if you want, there is an optional uh, first class African, in fact, Kenyan uh, safari that you can go on at the end of this trip, costs a little over $1,000. You know, most people would never go on an African safari, mostly because most of the cost in going on a safari is getting to Africa, but you're already there, so so why not, right? <laughs> That's optional if you want to do that at the end of the trip. Uh, before I get into the message, in fact, let me just show you one more thing. I'm going to show you just a, a very quick video that will give you an idea of what it will look like if you come to Rwanda with us, so check this out. All right. Applications are in the hallway, or you can find them online on our website as well. Check check one out. All right. Uh, on my uh, day off uh, this uh, Monday of this week, I went up to Cambridge to uh, visit my parents on uh, one of my cousins, and then I, I brought my four-year-old son, uh, Lincoln, with me, and we went out to eat at the uh, a local dive restaurant, if you will. It's called the Brass Rail. Uh, they're famous for their amazing broasted chicken. Uh, I had a ham sandwich. Uh, and anyway... <laughs> My, my dad, uh, he ordered a cheese curds for a, an appetizer, and we were talking about it, and my four-year-old son, Lincoln, says, I don't like cheese curds. Well, I'm not sure if he's ever even tried them, but here's what happened in my family. Um, to my uh, just extreme embarrassment, my older kids decided like a year ago that they didn't like cheese curds. And then you know what siblings do. They pass it on to the younger one and said, no, you're not going to like cheese curds. And of course, he decided that not. Cheese curds were basically like broccoli. Why would you eat them? And so we're waiting for them to arrive. And the people around the table start talking about how the cheese curds at this particular restaurant are absolutely incredible. And I even leaned over to my son and I said, buddy, I I don't know what your siblings told you, but I really think that you would like cheese curds. Well, eventually they come and I see kind of out of the corner of my eye, my son is just just munching on something. He had snuck his hand into the basket and he was just chowing them down. And I thought, okay, well, this is, this is interesting. It just got me thinking about how susceptible we are to influence as human beings. Like if he had been there with just his brother and sister, first of all, I'd be arrested because that would, I shouldn't have sent them out on their own. But second of all, he never would have eaten the cheese curds, not in a million years, but with a different influence around him, and then the story changes. And I just wonder, do you know how easily influenced you are? See, I think most of us way overestimate our ability to not be influenced. But the Bible tells us that we shouldn't be, we, sh- we shouldn't think so highly of ourselves. We'd be wise to not think that way. In actuality, our friends 
around us have a major influence on us, uh, both positively and negatively. And so today, as we enter into a week two of our friendship series, I want to study the Bible's unique teaching on who you should let into your life as a friend. Uh, There are really a number of places in Scripture that talk about this, so we're going to jump around a bit more than usual today. Uh, The first place I think we should look is Paul's teaching on this in uh, his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. It says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So what Paul is saying is you, you could be quite passionate about Jesus and following him, but if you begin to surround yourself with bad company, with those that don't follow Christ, with those that don't live for him, they will corrupt. They'll negatively influence your faith. Now, to the teenagers and young adults in the room, this, this is a Bible verse that is critical for your stage of life. To the parents in the room, uh, those of you that have kids already in elementary school, you know, especially in the middle school and high school, this is really important for you to think through this passage today, even as a parent. You know, I was a uh, high school youth pastor uh, for five years uh, before I started this church. And I could tell you, I watched student after student after student who had a passionate relationship with Christ eventually lose their faith mostly because they just surrounded themselves with the wrong people. Or perhaps actually the most common way that I saw it happen was they began to date someone who didn't follow Christ. Or I can remember as a college student, so I came to Christ when I was 18 years old, and I can remember some of my friends saying in college, they would say, you know what, I'm just going out to this one party on Friday night. And and they would say like, no, 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 you don't have to worry about me. I'm going to be the good influence there. Right, and then like five hours later, they're stumbling back to the dorm. We way overestimate our ability to avoid negative influence. I actually think some of the other translations are helpful on this passage. Uh, you know, we use the NIV mostly, but some of the older translations and almost every other translation, instead of starting the verse, do not be misled, they say, do not be deceived. Or some of them say, don't be foolish. Don't fool yourself thinking you can't be influenced. You're a human being. And the deception actually continues as we age. Because for those of you in this room that are, say, 30 and older, some of you have already said to yourself, because this is how we deceive ourselves. We say, oh, oh, this is good. This one doesn't really apply to me today. This is for, like, those high school kids and college You know, the people, like, dealing with peer pressure. I would just say, nice try. That was was great, right? (laughs) Don't, Don't fool yourself. Now, as adults, it just looks different. Actually, there's something really interesting about the wider context of this passage. So whenever we study a a scripture, you want to look not just at that one verse, you want to look at its context. So bad company corrupts good character. That's from 1 Corinthians 15. This is one of the great chapters of the Bible. And you know what it's about? It's Paul's very theological, it's quite philosophical even, it's his defense of the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. So he spends this entire chapter talking about why you can intellectually believe in the resurrection. And then he pauses just for a second. He says, and by the way, remember, bad company corrupts good character. Okay, so it's not placed in this chapter like you were maybe thinking, like he's going off on drunkenness or a specific moral issue. It's in the midst of all of his theological arguments. He says, basically, who you surround yourself with is who you become. See, as adults, 
the bad company that corrupts our faith isn't necessarily someone who's going to sway your actions, but your thinking. So what was happening in the city of Corinth is many of the early Christians were surrounding themselves, their company of the day were these pagan thinkers who thought that the idea of the resurrection was ridiculous. And it was beginning, that company was beginning to corrupt their faith. See, for many of us, that is our problem. It's not that we have friends that are pressuring us to go and do drugs and go out and party. It's that the nature of our conversations that we have with our friends are keeping our minds from growing or believing in Christ. And you need to treat that as a dangerous thing. But many of us, we don't. Some of us think that it would be intellectually inferior. In fact, we, we think in our minds that it would even be cowardly to hide ourselves, to shelter ourselves from arguments against our faith, right? If you were, say, if someone said, I want to talk to you about how the Bible isn't true, or I want to talk to you about how Jesus isn't the only way, we go, oh, why would I ever avoid arguments like that? Isn't that like the child who's going like, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it? That's not what I'm saying. See, we believe that Christianity is incredibly and intellectually sound. And it is fine, it is good for you to understand the counter-arguments to Christianity. But that doesn't mean that you expose yourself to it every day. Like, if I had a friend who was always telling me, you shouldn't stay married to your wife. David, you need to get a divorce. You need to get a divorce. Would I keep listening to them week after week after week just so I could make sure that I always had an open mind? No, that would be ridiculous, right? As G.K. Chesterton once famously said, merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. There are others of us that we don't necessarily struggle with the temptation of a friend's intellectual or religious arguments. We struggle with the influence of their emotions. Like maybe you have a close friend who's just always negative about everything, right? They can just turn everything negative. Or maybe they're just incredibly draining. Or uh, maybe they just always get worked up about a, a lot of things. You know people like this? The Bible says that you actually should be wary of having these overly emotional, specifically overly angry friends. Look at Proverbs chapter 22. It says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily anchored, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Uh, It's like the story of uh, uh, two friends, uh, Eric and Jake, who uh, went hunting. Eric had a friend who uh, owned a ranch down in Texas. And he uh, owned all this land. And he had told Eric and Eric that if he brought his friend, they could hunt on their land. So they went on this really long drive. Uh, they get to Texas. And Eric goes in and he talks to his friend, the rancher. And says, he goes, all right, are we still hunting your land? The rancher says, yes, of course. But he said, could you do me a favor? I have this mule. And the mule is just is dying. And it's really been difficult for him. He's starting to go blind. I just love him so much, I can't put him out of his misery, but I just need to. Could you Could you shoot my mule? And Eric said, sure, no problem, I can do that. So he's walking back out to the car, to his friend Jake in the car, and he gets this idea. He thinks, oh, this is going to be really funny. He gets in the car, 
shuts the door, and he pretends to just be raving mad. And he says, oh, I hate that guy. I just hate it. This is unbelievable. He lied to us. We drove all the way down here. And he said we can't hunt on his property. And he starts driving like a lunatic towards the barn. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to shoot his mule. And his friend's like, are you, like, buddy, are you sure that you want to do this? He's like, absolutely. He gets out of his car and he slams the car door. And he runs into the barn and bam, he shoots the mule. And just as he's walking out of the barn, kind of laughing at himself, he looks and his friend Jake had gotten out of the car. And all of a sudden he heard two gunshots. His friend Jake looks back at him. His face is just red with anger. And he says, ha, we'll show that guy. I shot two of his cows. <laughs> and whenever I hear that, I just think, man, anger is just so contagious. It's contagious, right? You get around someone who's angry and we get angry. Well, I, I think you see this in our uh, political landscape. People are angry. Do you, have, do you have friends who are just angry about politics? Every time they talk about politics, they're just angry. And by the time that you finish talking to them, you feel angry too. I think for many of us, it stems back to the political talk shows, right? Or maybe it's a, the news channels. It's like you turn on any of these shows. And it doesn't matter what side of the aisle that you're on. They're just angry about something, right? Just angry. And they tell you that the latest news ought to make you angry too. And before you know it, you are angry because like the Bible says, anger is contagious. And I think this actually brings up another point. For many of us, our most influential friend isn't even a real person. It's our TV. It's our tablet. It's our computer. It's the friend that talks to us three hours a night. Right And through, it's not even like directly telling you what to do, but through watching it, right? Well, you're watching the movies, you're watching the show, you're seeing a, an, an influence of life, right? It's modeled in front of you, a certain way that you ought to live or you ought to think when it comes to a relationships or marriage or sex or worldview or faith. And it just is influencing you like a close friend. You spend way more time with it than your other friends, and it's changing us. And if the Bible is right and bad company really does corrupt good character, I think the question for all of us is, what is the bad company that you need to cut out of your life? If who you surround yourself with is who you become, then who do you need to cut out of your life? Right, maybe, maybe, in its, maybe it's even an electronic friend. Right? Maybe there's a podcast or a radio show that you listen to, and if you think about it, it's actually drawing you away from Christ. And maybe it's a show that you watch. And like if you actually picture Jesus sitting next to you on the couch watching that show with you, which he is, by the way, you would never watch it because you know that it's pulling you away from Christ. Uh, maybe it's a friend that you hang out with. I remember a long time ago reading about uh, a, a writer, and she said that when she was little— She'd come home at the you know, end of a summer day, and her mom would always say to her, I can tell who you've been playing with today. And she could just tell, because this little girl, her, her mannerisms were different. Her attitude was different. Because who you surround yourself with is who you become. 
And I think all of us probably have one or two, maybe three or four people in our lives that if we're honest, when we're with them, it pulls us away from God. Now let me just pause for a second because I know that some of you in this room are going, there's something about this message that just doesn't feel right. Like you're thinking, but shouldn't I, as a Christ follower, spend as much time with non-believers as believers? Nope. And maybe you're thinking, but I thought this was a church that is incredibly serious about evangelism and spending time in reaching the, the lost and the brokenhearted. Yep, that's just totally true. But, di- but didn't Jesus like hang out with hurting and lost people? Yes, he totally did. See, there is a tension here. It is a, a certain type of balance that I think many Christians just don't understand. So we think often of how Jesus dined uh, with the hated tax collectors and the prostitutes. But we forget that Jesus even lived in a certain type of balance. So let me ask you a question. Who did Jesus spend the majority of his time with? The Twelve disciples. Right? Believers. Now, should you still be befriending those who don't know Christ? Absolutely. In fact, I'm, I'm spending some time with a friend here coming up who doesn't follow Christ. Because A, I like him as a friend. And B, I want to influence him for Christ. This is the model of Jesus, who spent the majority of his time with the 12 disciples. But remember, he was also called the friend of sinners. And I think Christians generally aren't very good at this balance at all. I just know few Christians that are actually have the right type of balance. It seems like Christians are either way out in the world, hanging out with only worldly people, and in two or three years they become just like them. Or I think a lot of Christians haven't even talked to a non-believer in the last decade. They might as well just get it over with and become Amish. So just think about this in terms of rings of influence. So as a Christian, you absolutely need to be out there and you need to be loving and hanging out with people that are far from God. But if we follow the model of Jesus, if we recognize that who we surround ourselves with is who we become, then you want the people that are closest to you in your life to encourage you to follow Christ. Is that true of your life? Do you, the people that are really close to you, are they encouraging you to follow Christ? Uh, this is exactly why Proverbs says this, Proverbs 12, 26. It says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. It's the rings of influence. Could that first part be said of you? Do you choose your friends carefully? Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, says a really similar things in uh, similar thing in Second Corinthians, uh, or two Corinthians, if you prefer. <laughs> okay, Second uh, <laughs> Corinthians uh, chapter six. He says, "Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness?" And we use this a passage a lot when we talk about marriage, and that's a great application of it. But it just as easily can be applied to close friendships. Paul is saying that you are not to be yoked together, like oxen that are yoked together, linked together next to each other. You're not to be yoked together, walking side by side with unbelievers. 
This is kind of hard because we don't talk about this kind of stuff anymore. This is right from the scriptures. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you've got this close friend and they don't believe that Jesus forgave you for your sins, they don't believe that despite the chaos in your life, that God is in control, then that isn't actually the person that you want walking side by side with you, counseling you through your life's biggest moments. Because eventually, whether it's morally or intellectually or theologically or emotionally, they're going to influence you. And they don't see your life as Jesus sees your life. And here's the danger for you. D.L. Moody, uh, who was a famous evangelist of the 1800s, was once visiting with a a prominent Chicago uh, citizen, And the citizen said that he, as a Christian, didn't really feel like he needed to surround himself with other Christians, but really he just needed to be out in the world loving people. And Moody, who was brilliant, uh, didn't say anything. He just walked over to the fireplace by which they were seated, and he pulled out a burning coal, not with his bare hands, and he pulled out a burning coal from amongst the other coals, and he just placed it down on the hearth. The two men just sat there and watched the ember die out. Moody didn't even need to say anything. He had made his point. See, when your inner ring of friends is hot and they're on fire for Christ, so will you be. Who you surround yourself with is who you become. But if you surround yourself with people who are spiritually cold, You're like that coal that's been plucked out of the fire. Eventually, you will become spiritually cold. This is the principle that we just see all throughout the scriptures. And see, this is going to cause some of you in this room to make hard choices. But it will reveal who the master of your life really is. And for others of you in this room, you maybe you're just checking out God and you don't even maybe go to church or you've just coming back in the last six months or so. I think this is yet another reason that you say, well, I just got to get some good people in my life. Right? You keep coming here. You maybe sign up for a house group so you can have some of those other people around you that are encouraging you to follow Christ. And my prayer is that everybody would just see the positive value of this teaching. Let me give you another scripture. Proverbs 13.20 says this, Walk with the wise, and what will happen? You have wise people all around your inner circle. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. If your inner ring of people is spiritually wise, then you will become wise. And since this principle is so true all throughout the scriptures, I think a question you've got to ask yourself is, who is it in my life that I maybe just need to spend some more time with? Maybe it's someone from your house group. Like, who is it that you just even need to text this week and say, hey, can we just hang out? Can we just go out for coffee? i just ask you some questions so that you can have them around you to influence you for Christ. You know, another way to say who you surround yourself with is who you become is this. I've heard it said this way, show me your friends and I will show you your future. In fact, there was a study done once that said that people usually end up being the average of the five friends that they hang out with the most. You just end up kind of being the middle, the average of those five friends. 
In fact, the influence of your inner ring is so strong that many have said that the greatest predictor of your future, you want to know what you're going to be like 10 years from now? 20 years from now? Just look at your inner ring. Look at the people you're hanging around with. Influence is so strong for us as humans. If you want to know who you're going to become, just look at the people you've surrounded yourself with. Are they all doubting Christ? Are they just complaining all the time? Are they negative all the time? Are they passionate about serving Jesus? Then over time, so will you. Just trust in God's wisdom and put the right people around you. Let me pray. Lord, I just pray for all of us in this room that you would give us the courage to maybe even pull away from some people or seek out some different people, that we would see the truth of your word and that we would trust in it. So in your name we pray. Amen.